Hello, and welcome to the Canola Watch podcast. My name is Jay Wetter. The topic today is fertilizer recommendations. We're talking about nitrogen soil tests and crop uptake and removal of nutrients. My University of Saskatchewan guests are... So I'm Rich Farrell. I'm an associate professor in the Department of Soil Science, and I have one of the SRP uh, research chairs, Sask Ministry of Agriculture research chairs in uh, soils and environment. And I'm Fran Wally. I'm a professor in the Department of Soil Science, um, and I'm also the associate dean academic in the College of Agriculture and Bioresources. We'll be talking about two research projects. One, titled Revisiting Nitrogen Fertilizer Recommendations for Saskatchewan, Are We Measuring the Right Soil Nitrogen Pool, was recently completed. Richard Farrell and Fran Wally were the principal investigators. You can read a summary in the Science 2022 edition of Canola Digest at canoladigest.ca. The second, titled Revising the Crop Nutrient Uptake and Removal Guidelines for Western Canada, is ongoing. Fran Wally is the lead on that project. Here we go. So Rich, perhaps we'll start with you. Um, just back to the, to the nitrogen soil tests study. Can you lead off with a, a comment about the limitation with the current nitrogen soil test? Sure. I mean, crops take up, soil, take up nitrogen like, continuously. Once, they're, once they have root systems out and they're growing. Uh, but current soil tests are basically a snapshot of what's in the soil at the time you collect your sample. So, you know, people will either do fall soil sampling or spring soil sampling. And so basically the soil test looks at the amount of ammonium and nitrate or the available nitrogen. This is the plant available nitrogen that's in the soil at the time that you take the test. It doesn't mean that it doesn't change between when you take the test and when the crop starts growing or that that's the only nitrogen that the crop is available, uh, that can availably access. So there's also organic nitrogen in the soil that as the organic matter slowly mineralizes during the season, releases available and that is also then available to the crop. So in order to do a soil test and determine what you're looking for, we have the crop, so we have the nutrient uptake guidelines that we'll talk about later that basically say this is how much nitrogen a crop will take up during a year and so you know how much it's going to take up if you get a uh, you know an average size crop or your target crop and then you know how much is there to begin with and so the difference between what's there now and what the crop is going to take up is what you target for your fertilizer application but the fertilizer applications they we look at the available nitrogen and then there are algorithms based on a lot of research that people use, you know, we refer to them mainly as fudge factors that take that in and calculate how much N will become available during the season and then use that data to calculate what's the amount of nitrogen that you should add. Are those estimates based primarily on organic matter, the organic matter percentage? Uh, it would be a range yeah. of different kinds of research that have gone into developing those um, fudge factors, including just measuring crop end uptake from soils with different levels of available nitrogen. And different labs use different algorithms. So people have sort of their own that they that they put together to make these. So it, there's not like one 
everybody uses the same one. People have them sort of, they use their research that they've collected, the data they've collected and develop them to develop these algorithms. And we, we often recommend that people stick with the same lab and that would be the reason is because um, yeah. it, it can be sometimes hard to compare results from different labs. Yeah. It is, and we've we've done comparisons where we send samples to you know three different labs, and you get three different recommendations. But that's uh, not what this is about. This is really about the fact that what we want to do is get a better estimate of what's that, what's the potentially mineralizable end. So how much end will become available during the season? Because if you can, if you know that accurately, then you can sort of say, okay, this is what we've got in the soil now. This is how much becomes available, so this is how much I need to add. And so you can conceivably reduce the amount of fertilizer you need to add by knowing how much of that potentially mineralizable end is there. And there are biological tests for doing it, but they're basically incubation tests that last anywhere from, say, 7 to 21 days. And just because of this, the type of test they are, commercial labs just don't do them. So there are very few commercial labs that will do them and they're expensive because they're very time consuming. And so that's why everything is based on these algorithms and sort of the sort of looking at and saying this is how much organic matter there. This is what the residues were last year, what your cropping history is. So here's our best guess of what's going to become available. So what we would like to do is develop a soil test that more accurately measures that and does it in a reasonable amount of time, something that could be done in a commercial lab. The particular thing that you were looking at was soil protein. Right. Can you tell me what soil protein is? I'm assuming it's the living matter. There's the organic organic matter pool and the part of that organic matter are proteins that produced by plants and by microorganisms in the soil so the plants will you know take up nitrogen convert it into amino acids the amino acids are transformed into proteins and that's stored in the organic matter then as the residues decompose that organic matter breaks down the protein breaks down and, and it releases nitrogen uh, it becomes you know goes from organic nitrogen to ammonium to nitrate on down that way and so that's the nitrogen that we're that we're looking at is what's happens there. And protein N can take up a, a fairly large portion of the total organic nitrogen that's in in the soil. And so uh, the goal was to sort of say, can we look at how this is released? And Fran and I had a project years ago that looked at a, a particular protein called glomalin, which was thought to be a, a sort of nitrogen and carbon storage protein. It's, it's very difficult to break down. And so um, there was interest in that compound as sort of a carbon storage uh, mechanism. And so while we were doing that, we sort of started talking about, well, maybe we, uh, maybe these other proteins. So when we, when we analyzed the soil for this glomalin protein, we discovered that there's lots of other types of proteins in the extracts. And so we started to think, well, maybe some of these other proteins would make a nicer uh, or a more suitable index of the potentially available nitrogen. And so that was sort of the jumping off point for this project. And what did you discover? We discovered that it wasn't a very good index. <laughs> Basically, that was it. It's, uh, it's, it's an index that... It's a nice index for soil health, and it's used as a soil health index, 
but for potentially available nitrogen, it wasn't all that good. And part of the reason is that it's it still remains a very large pool of nitrogen. And so much of what we're measuring as protein N is still N that would not become available during the uh, season. So while it, there's probably a small percentage of it that is plant available during the season, most of what we're extracting is would be considered unavailable or very, very slowly available nitrogen. And so it didn't make a particularly good index for, for what we were looking for. So the, the goal now is to sort of say, okay, how can we can we sort of tweak this test and this, these extractions down so that we're only pulling out that uh, nitrogen that would become available during a growing season? Let's pause here to acknowledge the strange whirring sound that, unfortunately, will be with us off and on for the remainder of the interview. What is that sound? Oh, that's, that's the heating vent in my office. Oh. Just back to the proteins then. So um, maybe that's not the mechanism to get to a, a test of mineralizable nitrogen. So given the experience, maybe Fran, if, if it's appropriate that you answer this one, we'll, we'll, we'll let you jump in. So given the experience with, with this study, do you think we'll get a quick test of that um, mineralizable nitrogen? The quick test is the problem, I think. I think we can get to what's going to be mineralized. And <clears throat> the protein really, uh, we really thought had some promise um, because it's often that material that's, you know, um, added to the soil that can rapidly break down and, and release nitrogen. Um, but as Rich was pointing out, it's such a big pool that we're still uh, it's still a black box and we haven't quite figured out which which um, part of that pool is actually releasing um, the nitrogen. So uh, I guess we, you know, we've done all sorts of, we've approached this from many different ways, I guess, put it that way. And there are some tests that, you know, we hear about coming out of the States and whatnot that show promise. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the <laughs> I'm now turning into long answer is, I'm not sure that we're gonna get to the point where we've got the single test that's gonna work on all um, situations and with all of the different environmental variables and whatnot. I don't know, what do you think, Rich? Yeah, I think it's, it's still a goal, but it's gonna take, it's going to take more effort. One of the things that we've toyed with, and we've talked to like Bobby Helgeson, who's a soil biochemist or biologist, uh, and Fran and I have talked a little bit about this, uh, is that it might be possible to use something like a protease, that's a, a, so a, an enzyme that breaks down proteins. And so take a soil, measure the amount of nitrogen that's there, then add a protease to it, have it react with the soil and release some of the nitrogen and then add it, uh, you know, measure it again and see what the difference is. And maybe that could be used as a, an indicator of it. But there's hundreds of proteases and the question is, which one would you use? How would you go about it? Time, you know, so there's still a lot to do. I would say this is not on a short timeline. Uh, you know, we're not looking at something that's going to happen 
two or three years from now. It, this is maybe something that's maybe five or more years down the road, I would say. And there are still a lot of people working on this. The, you know, we started this work with the protein one, and about the same time we did it, uh, there was some work at Dalhousie University where they were starting to look at it as well. They found sort of the same results that we did, that it wasn't a particularly good one. There was some work in Ohio State that did the same thing, and the results were, again, similar, that it wasn't a particularly good indicator for this. So a lot of people have been thinking about this and thinking, well, the protein pool is what we should be focusing on, but this particular extraction method isn't the correct one for it. So now it's like Fran said, there's a lot of things in that pool and we need to sort of figure out what in the pool is the material that becomes readily available in a short period of time. And so that's where the effort's gonna have to be going forward. The, the conclusion therefore, just to wrap up this part of the conversation, uh, is that the, the current tests, uh, based on what we don't know right now, are the are the the better tests. Oh yeah, and and to to be honest, like we the two years that we did, we did work with all of the agro arm sites, so in all the different soil zones across the province, and looked out. And if you applied at the soil test recommendation, that was your best. That gave you your best yield response. Um, going above the soil test recommendation gave virtually no response at all. There was you, it was just wasted money basically. So doing the soil test with the current method that we have is still your best bet. And based on the work that we did over this two-year period at I think it was seven different sites, so basically 14 site years of data, the, that soil test recommendation was the one that sort of hit your best result, I would say, probably three quarters of the time. Fran, what's next on this particular project? Uh, for farmers and for researchers, um, you know, it really is trying to figure out what's in the black box and using as much information as is available to, to make those judgment calls about fertilizer recommendations. So I guess our next steps, Rich, is more conversation. More conversation, yeah. So it, it's, and that that's basically it. We'll, you know, knowing what we've got now and we have ideas on where to go. So it'll just be the kinds of things that, that lead to a lot of the research that we do is we'll sit around at lunch or over coffee and we'll talk about these things and sort of see what's what would be a good direction next step for this. And then then we'll look for funding to to move on to that next that next step. Let's move on to the next step of this conversation, which is to talk about the crop nutrient uptake and removal guidelines. The ones I'm familiar with are from 2001. Fran, is there anything newer than that? Uh, the recommendations we're working on right now. So the ones that you're talking about are, uh, was sort of our jumping off point. And they actually um, go back uh, there was an earlier version yet of that from uh, the Canadian Fertilizer Institute. And so I think you're talking about that beautiful color one pager. Is that what that's you're right. Yep, Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. So there's actually an earlier version of that. And I only know it because uh, um, I used it in my teaching when I started back in 1997. So um, super valuable piece of paper 
for trying to figure out, you know, uh, this is the kind of crop that we grew this year. This is the nutrient, likely nutrient uh, uptake and removal, how much was in the straw, what got returned to the soil, and, and start doing some of that nutrient budgeting. But a few years back now, well, pre-COVID, we were at uh, um, a phosphorus workshop actually in town here, and a number of us were over lunch talking about the nutrient uptake and removal guidelines, the ones that you're re uh, referring to, and just talking about how um, that research was actually done back in the 80s and 90s for that mm. 2001 um, data sheet. And so when you start thinking about how much the genetics have changed, how much our management practices have changed, um, it seemed like a really good time to revisit the, the nutrient uptake guidelines. So that was, um, that was the start of the project actually uh, over lunch. So when Rich and I say we, you know, we've got conversations ahead of us, that's where many of these ideas actually come from. And we were hearing a lot from farmers too, who were interested in, you know, um, revisiting those guidelines. The, the, so the guidelines have um, the uptake and removal for all the major crops, including canola for N, N, P, K, and S. We'll stick with nitrogen for this conversation. And this was based on a 35 bushel per acre canola crop. Uptake was 100 to 123 for N. Removal was 61 to 74 for N. Are you getting any indications of new numbers or anything you can share as a as a preview? Yeah, yeah, for sure. What would not be surprising at all is those yield. The yield numbers are are not relevant, really. Part of that is management, but uh, part of that is also just um, different varieties and you know different genetics. And you know, especially when you think that some of those numbers were actually coming out of the 80s and 90s in terms of the research that came to those numbers we expected to see quite big differences. And so um, interestingly, nitrogen has not varied uh, a great deal. We have um, some crops where there are differences and it's likely due to not great data sets back in the day. So dry bean, for instance, uh, the numbers in 2001 um, and lentil uh, are also uh, different. Like we're, we're seeing different um, nutrient uptake on a pounds per bushel basis. But for most of the crops, they're pretty good estimates. So most of the crops where we had, you know, lots of research data, uh, at the time, or presumably they had lots of research data, the nitrogen uptake estimates are pretty good. Well, even if they stay the same, the fact yes. that you've done updated work just adds new confidence to those numbers, which is why, you know, you know, visit, revisiting research, even if the results are the same, is still a worthwhile practice, especially in this case. Yeah, and actually, like the nitrogen numbers were very similar, but phosphorus and potassium numbers actually, those 2001 um, estimates pr 
probably overestimate uh, the potassium and phosphorus uptake for a lot of the crops. And uh, so we're feeling like we'll have uh, a better, um, be able to, to um, say with more confidence what the phosphorus and potassium uptake are. And I should say too, it really varies between the crops. Some of them are really um, closely aligned and others seem to be a little bit out. The existing nutrient uptake guidelines aren't terrible. <laughs> they're, they're pretty good, but they absolutely um, needed some adjusting. Then we close with one last comment about about nitrogen, given all the attention it's getting. What do you think are the most important questions to answer over the next couple of years when it comes to nitrogen and, and nitrogen use efficiency? I think you just said it. The nitrogen use efficiency piece is so important. And it's important from you know, a farming perspective that you want to maximize your yield and minimize the inputs. And that goes hand in hand with environmental goals as well. And so uh, being a good steward of the land and, and um, uh, being environmentally conscious actually is beneficial from a you know, the, it's sort of the bottom line and uh, reducing nitrogen inputs but not losing yield or losing protein um, in cereal crops, for instance. So I think anything we can do to improve our ability to uh, estimate what crops might be taking up and what the requirements might need, whether that's from a soil test or a combination of a soil test and some detective work with, you know, how much nitrogen was removed last year and how much am I uh, anticipating my crop's going to need this year? Um, I think meets those, uh, you know, crop production goals, but also meets those environmental goals. I don't know, Rich. Yeah, I I think that's the that's the case. Um, you know, we talk a lot about nitrous oxide because it's a greenhouse gas and everything, but it's also an indicator of sort of how leaky your system is in terms of nitrogen and so like you know if you're having high nitrous oxide emissions it means the conditions are right to lose a lot more nitrogen in other forms so one of the things that we're looking at or you know an area that we're looking into is this getting a nice nitrogen balance where is everything going because nitrogen use efficiency in this region is probably in the 50 to 60 percent range so that means you know 40 percent or more of the nitrogen you're applying you're the crop's not getting it you're not seeing it so you're paying for it but you're not seeing it so what we need to know is where is it going and why aren't the crops getting it and unless you know where it's going you can't really develop strategies to prevent it from going there so like some of the work that we're doing now is looking at how much uh nitrogen is lost as nitrogen gas as dinitrogen gas so that's also a product of denitrification so you know nitrous oxide is formed but nitrous oxide under the right conditions is reduced all the way down to nitrogen gas and so how much is lost there and estimates in the literature range anywhere from you know 10 to 15 times as much n2 is lost as n2o so you know while you might say well i'm only losing a kilogram of nitrogen as n2o you could be losing 10 or 15 kilograms as N2. So knowing where it's going helps us 
define systems to reduce those losses and improve nitrogen use efficiency, which goes hand in hand with sort of, like Fran said, reducing the amounts of fertilizer that you need without sacrificing the agronomic goals that you've got for yourself. And I mean, soil testing, I know you're, you, the project was about a, a new soil test or maybe a more accurate soil test, but, but you concluded that, that the current test is, is quite adequate. I guess the, the point then is to so do the test. test to do yeah exactly so yeah, you got it yeah yeah I think I I agree that it's <clears throat> adequate but I think we want to do better than just adequate and so I think that's where it ties into the nutrient uptake and removal and having a good understanding of what that is as well so you can sort of do that balance sheet and um, you know, Rich was saying, where's the nitrogen going? And ideally, it's going into your crop production. Thanks to, to, to the two of you. It sounds like there's a part two we need to do. Maybe we could save that for sometime in 2023. Thanks again. Sure. No Thank problem. You. Thank you. Soil testing is a fundamental of fertilizer management. Find out more in the fertilizer section at canolaencyclopedia.ca. To learn about funding for farmers soil testing a field for the first time, go to canolacouncil.org and look up Canola 4R Advantage. To find the 2001 version of the nutrient uptake and removal by field crops, read How much fertilizer does canola need in the fertilizer section at canolawatch.org fundamentals. Canola Watch is an agronomy service from the Canola Council of Canada with support from the three prairies-based canola grower organizations, Sas Canola, Alberta Canola, and Manitoba Canola Growers. At the core of Canola Watch is a timely agronomy email with regular updates throughout the growing season on pests, weather, fertilizer management, and other topics. If you are not already subscribed, please sign up at canolawatch.org. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. My name is Jay Wetter. Thank you very much for listening.